KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Negotiations break down and Kaiser Healthcare workers vote to strike. You know, we're talking about people all up and down California here, you know, 32,000 workers. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. This is KPBS Midday Edition. The San Diego-Mexico border officially reopens Monday, and some travelers will be asked about their vaccination status. You should also have proof of your vaccination status in case the officer asks. Not all travelers will be asked for proof of vaccination. And a puppet named Henri and a hip-hop nutcracker highlight our weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com. Contract negotiations between Kaiser and its healthcare workers union have stalled, so the employees have issued a notice to strike. That means if an agreement isn't reached, up to 32,000 Kaiser nurses and other healthcare workers will go out on strike in 10 days. Union members object to the small wage hike offered by Kaiser, some claiming the amount is an insult to the work they did during the pandemic. Joining me is Matt Hoffman, KPBS health reporter. And Matt, welcome. Hey, Maureen. What is Kaiser offering in these negotiations? So Kaiser said that they just recently put out an updated proposal uh, to these nurses and these other healthcare workers um, saying that they're offering as much as a 4% a year in pay increases with no takeaways to their uh, what they call market leading benefits and their retirement programs. Now, the union, uh, they want a 4% across the board uh, raises, um, but they say that this proposal um, you know, sort of raises the 1% wage proposal for current employees to 2%. So sort of reading between the lines, there may be some employees could qualify for this 4%, but a lot of them um, obviously would not. And they, they call this most recent uh, proposal uh, something of a Trojan horse uh, to push through this two-tier wage proposal um, that's sort of the crux of a lot of this arguing here. And tell us about this two-tiered wage structure that Kaiser is proposing. What would that entail? Yeah, so the two-tier wage structure, as I understand it, you know, talking with union representatives, um, is that um, after a certain date, you know, in the next couple of years, uh, new employees, new nurses, and other healthcare workers uh, would be hired at a lower cost uh, than existing healthcare workers. And the union says, hey, you know, that affects everybody from current healthcare workers to future healthcare workers, um, and they even say patients too. Um, you know, sort of saying that uh, not only does it reduce um, their bargaining power, uh, but it creates division in terms of how having you know, some nurses that are getting paid a certain rate and other new nurses that are getting paid a lower rate. Um, but Kaiser says that the challenge that they're trying to address here is the increasingly unaffordable cost of healthcare. And they say that wages and benefits account for half of their operational costs. And they basically say that they're asking their labor partners to address the problem and, and sort of you know come to an agreement here that can uh, make employment uh, at Kaiser viable for a long way to go. Uh, they also say that a lot of their employees, just the way that 
Kaiser is structured with their pay. Um, some employees are earning, you know, 25, 26% above market average, um, in some places, uh, at about 38%. Since so many people regard healthcare workers as heroes during the pandemic, Kaiser has gotten a lot of criticism over these wage offers. I'm wondering, what does the union want? Have they submitted a proposed wage hike? Yeah, so the union says that they want 4% across the board raises for the next few years. And they feel like that that is a fair number, um, considering that the amount of revenue that Kaiser brings in, you know, still saying that they were very uh, viable uh, during the pandemic in these tough times. Um, and then you have Kaiser, on the other hand, saying that their proposal, when we talk about this two-tier wage system um, and, and everything else, aims to slow the significant over market growth um, and compensation. Um, so they they say that, you know, that they need to propose this to make employment uh, feasible at Kaiser um, for years to come. Now, nurses, as you say, are involved in the union that's issued the strike notice. Are doctors also threatening to strike? No, doctors are not threatening to strike as part of this. But, you know, we're talking about people all up and down California here, you know, 32,000 workers. I mean, sort of, as you mentioned, too, it's not just nurses, but we're talking about pharmacists, midwives, physical and occupational therapists, nurse practitioners, physician assistants and others. So really a, a broad swath of people here. And how far reaching would a strike like this be? I mean, how would patients be affected if the Kaiser healthcare workers really do go out on strike? Yeah, so this strike would be um, up and down California and even in some other areas as well, too. You know, I, I sort of just mentioned the number, uh, nearly 32,000 Kaiser Permanente workers. So this would be a pretty large strike. Um, it's been sort of, you know, bubbling up here for a little bit. They've been trying to negotiate this over the last few months. Um, and Kaiser says that that they are getting ready, you know, if and when that needs to happen. Uh, they said that their managers will will step up here, um, and if needed, they will bring in you know contingency staff uh, to be able to maintain care for patients. Haven't contract negotiations been in the works for a while over at Kaiser? Yeah, it really started heating up in September. And then um, just, you know, almost about a month ago in uh, early October, mid-October, um, the strike vote was authorized. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to go on strike. Um, but now, obviously, they've said that the 15th is the day that they are going to go on strike. I mean, basically saying, you know, while, while, Kaiser, while Kaiser is coming to the table with, you know, some things, funding some programs, um, some, some boards and committees, um, that they're not... Not, um, you know, they're not addressing the two-tier wage system that they think is very, very problematic, and they want to see those across-the-board wage, wage increases for everyone. So, is there any indication that the Kaiser healthcare workers may actually go through with a strike this time? I mean, there is still time to reach a deal, right? I mean, Kaiser says that they've been meeting regularly since September and believe that an agreement that meets the interests of everyone is possible. Um, but obviously, we have the strike, not only the strike vote authorization, but then we have the strike date. Um, and actually, if you go to the union's website, there's sort of an FAQ page with you know where to be at what time, how you can help. Um, so it seems like all indications are pointing to that a strike is going to happen. Um, but obviously, we still have a little bit more than a week. Um, so you never know what could happen at the bargaining table. I've been speaking with Matt Hoffman, KPBS health reporter. Matt, thank you. Thanks, Maureen. After 19 months of a non-essential travel ban, the U.S.-Mexico border will finally reopen Monday. But as KPBS reporters Gustavo Solis and Alexander Rangel found, the reopening will come with long waits and bureaucratic hassles. Celia Diaz knows exactly what she wants to do as soon as the border reopens to non-essential travel. 
visit her son, and go shopping, she says. Diaz is a Mexican citizen with a tourist visa. Her son recently became an American citizen, but he hasn't been able to get a passport. So they've been stuck without being able to see each other since July. Diaz says being separated from him has been difficult. But her wait will be over starting Monday. That's when she and other non-essential travelers will finally be allowed to cross into the U.S. as long as they've been vaccinated. Moises Castillo, the Customs and Border Protection Officer in charge of the San Isidro Port of Entry, explained the new process. If you are a visa holder traveling for non-essential reasons, you can verbally attest or declare at primary to the CBP officer as to your vaccination status. We ask that you do not wait for the officer to ask you the question. You should also have proof of your vaccination status in case the officer asks. Not all travelers will be asked for proof of vaccination. Border Patrol agents will randomly check people for vaccination proof, similar to how they conduct vehicle inspections. Everyone must have their vaccination papers, but not everyone will be asked to show them. And there is no way of knowing who will be asked and who won't. It's random. I mean, if the officer deems that he or she needs to ask, uh, they will ask. Getting a vaccination certificate in Tijuana has proven to be easier said than done. That is Jesus Alejandro Ruiz Uribe. He is Baja California's federal delegate who oversees social programs. It's his job to make sure everyone eligible in the state gets the right paperwork. He showed us the certificate people can use as proof of vaccination. It's a QR code border officials can scan. But the certificates are full of errors. Uribe says they had about 3,200 people waiting in line every day asking for corrections. Now it's about 1,200 people daily. Uribe says the problem is people didn't fill in their personal information correctly on their original documents. He says a lot of people provided false addresses and telephones because they didn't trust the federal government with their personal information. Uribe understands the frustration. Living in a border community means crossing on a regular basis. And not being able to cross feels like being cut off from half of your world. Tijuana has a border spirit, he says. People from Tijuana are the most Americanized Mexicans, and people from California are the most Mexicanized Americans. People who have the right paperwork will have to deal with another obstacle before crossing the border. Long wait times. Border wait times at San Isidro were notoriously long even before COVID times. But now, wait times could be longer than ever. If we lift restrictions, we are expecting an increase in travelers, and we're also expecting an increase in wait times. On a recent weekday, a car broke down just a few yards from the port of entry. CBP has reassigned more officers to meet the anticipated demand. But there are still no plans to reopen the Ped West pedestrian crossing or open all of San Isidro's vehicle traffic lanes. Evangelina Sanchez says she's already waited 19 months to cross. What's another couple of hours? She jokes and says she plans to set up a camping tent for the long wait. Alexandra Rangel, KPBS News. This story was also reported by KPBS border investigative reporter Gustavo Solis.
KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. This weekend preview takes us from a puppetry elephant heist to hip-hop sugar plum fairies and some interesting places in between. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans. And welcome, Julia. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me. The Marie Hitchcock Puppet Theater in Balboa Park will bring back an audience favorite, Henri Steals an Elephant. What do you know about Henri? Right. This is a performance from Max Daly, who is a renowned visual artist who won the 2018 San Diego Art Prize. This was alongside Bob Matheny. And he's also a puppeteer and operates this eccentric art project slash real sardine shop in Seaport Village, which is called Oslo Sardine Bar. And Max Daly, he spent the pandemic hosting regular tea times with Henri, his puppet, on Instagram Live, and grew this really loyal following. It's really wholesome. And the play is hand puppets and shadow puppets only with a single puppeteer. I talked to Daly this week, and the plot is as simple as it is kind of absurd. He's like an overtired French guy, and... uh you only would really know that by his striped shirt. And he loves tea. So he's drinking tea, and I think he's kind of bored with not having much to do. And he finds out that the circus is coming to town, and they're looking for acts. So he tries to come up with a performance, and he comes up with an idea for an elephant to climb up a high dive and do a dive into one of his teacups. But he doesn't have an elephant, so he goes to the San Diego Zoo to get one. There's lots of Commedia dell'arte influence. There's vaudeville and Punch and Judy antics. And the show runs just this weekend and next. And on next Friday, the 12th, there'll also be a special evening performance where Henri will join in the Morning Glory family band for a performance. And they will also go live on Instagram for a special tea time. Performances of Henri Steals an Elephant are Friday through Sunday at 11, 1, and 3 p.m. this weekend and next at the Marie Hitchcock Puppet Theater in Balboa Park. The hip-hop Nutcracker comes to town this weekend. What do you know about this? This is a touring production for just one night and probably the first holiday-related thing you can do. It's choreographed by Jennifer Weber with a cast of a dozen dancers, a DJ, and a live violinist. But with a few exceptions, it uses the original Tchaikovsky score. So there's hip-hop dance, breakdancing, all happening to this familiar classical music. It's set in present-day New York City, but again, the same familiar characters, too. They're just wearing sneakers. There's there's mice, there's Maria Clara, the Nutcracker Prince, the Land of Sweets. And, and when I first witnessed this, it almost felt like it was, it was more surprising and startling to me than if it had a hip-hop score. It really does show off the technical structures and the expressiveness of hip-hop as a dance form. And it's this Saturday at 7 o'clock at the Civic Theater, and they are requiring proof of vaccination or negative COVID test within 72 hours. And once again, the Hip Hop Nutcracker will be performed Saturday night at the Civic Theater. There is an exhibition at the Benita Museum and Cultural Center that includes the poetry of code. 
Right, it's called Rule 42, Stretched Language, and this is an exhibition based around the idea of visual poetry and mathematical poetry and how we can use that to understand the world. It's curated by Vaio Roberto, who used to be the gallery director of the art gallery at Southwestern College. There's a conceptual piece in the show that's written on a TSR-80 machine in basic code language. There's also erasure poetry and video works and sculptural installations. And tomorrow's opening reception, which is from 4.30 to 7.30, that will include some poetry and spoken word performances from Alex Caldiero, Gerda Govin, and Rosa Sandoval. And the Bonita Museum is always free, and it's open every Wednesday through Saturday from 10 to 4. The Rule 42 Stretched Language Exhibition opens at the Bonita Museum tomorrow and runs through December 3rd. Now, a virtual option, Redfish, Bluefish, performs a live stream on Saturday. Can you remind us about this group? Right, this is the famous experimental percussion ensemble out of UC San Diego's music department, and it's all helmed by Stephen Schick. Uh, they'll be live streaming two works. There's a 2019 piece by Inti Figues Visuerta called To Give You Form and Breath, which is inspired by Joy Harjo's poetry. And then the 2009 work Timber by Michael Gordon, which is utterly mesmerizing. The ensemble plays in a circle with six two by fours cut to specific sizes to get distinct pitches. And that's it, the only instrument. Both of these works are for found or custom-made instruments, like those two by fours or flower pots, resonant metals, and, and glass bottles too. There will be a small audience at this, but it's only accessible to current UC San Diego students, faculty, or staff so that they can show the current campus COVID protocol, and the rest of us can watch from home. Redfish Bluefish will perform a live stream Saturday at 5 p.m. And finally, on Monday, you can check out a debut feature film, Anna Who They Pulled Out of the River. It's screening at the new theater at the Mingay. Right, it's from Standard Fantastic Pictures and filmmaker Omar Lopez about a woman, Anna, who was abandoned as an infant along the banks of the Tijuana River and raised in a sort of collective parenting feat by the entire city of Tijuana. And the mother returns 20 years later to find her daughter grown and powerful. There's lots of dream sequences and, and artistic structures that the filmmaker plays with, like it's in black and white on 16 millimeter analog film. And the score consists of different arrangements of a single song. It's the standard, The World is Waiting for the Sunrise. It's arranged and performed by locals Clinton Ross Davis and Mara Kay. Is waiting for the the film screens Monday at 1.30, 4.30, and 7.30 p.m. at the Mingay. For details on these and more arts events, or to sign up for Julia's weekly curated arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts producer and editor, Julia Dixon-Evans. And thank you, Julia. Thank you, Maureen. Have a good weekend. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.